Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. I remember well my graduation. It wasn't a typical graduation. I won't go into all those details, but I was glad to have that opportunity, and I'm excited for them. And you guys get back in here fast because I'm going to be talking to you. Amen. Good to see everybody today. Welcome to Life Church. Why don't you, you don't have to stand up unless you want to. Just turn around and shake hands with somebody next to you. Tell them it's good to see them in church here today. Amen. That's right. Tell them it's good to see them in church today. Eddie, I don't know if I'm drinking your water or my water, but I'm glad I've known you for a long, long time. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, today is graduation Sunday. It is a day that we celebrate the accomplishments of these high school seniors as they move on to the next phases of their life. And today my message is going to be one that is applicable not only to them but to every person in this room. Uh, it really doesn't matter how young or how old you are or what your station in life is. But I do want to say that today in particular... I want to preach to our students and our young adults. And when I say students, I mean every middle schooler, every high schooler, not just the graduating students, but also to every young adult that's in this room. And uh, if you consider yourself young, that includes you, right? <laughs> uh, so let's go to our Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, generations come and generations go. But the earth never changes. And how many of you that are as old as me know that scripture is the truth, right? Generations come, generations go, but things really never change that much around us. I want us to look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors and his body Decayed. I want to read that verse again from the New King James Version this time. And it said, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. Amen. He fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers. And he saw corruption. In other words, his body decayed. I want to talk to you about this subject today. Serving God's purpose in your generation. Serving God's purpose in your generation. Now, this year, we've been talking a lot about building the kingdom and what we can do to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. Matter of fact, my last two sermons, in fact, were about how we can serve God by serving others. And I feel like I want to continue to drive that point home a little bit here today and ask you this question. Are you willing, and again, I'm not just targeting the students, but I really want them to hear this question but everybody in the room, are you willing to do what David did and serve God's purpose in your generation? Are you willing to serve your generation not by your desires, but by the will of God? All of these young people that are in such an exciting season of their life, some of you might remember what it was like to graduate from high school. I remember for me, I looked around and I thought, man, everybody else has a plan. I don't have a plan. <laughs> everybody else knows what they're doing. I don't have a clue what I'm going to do in my life. And I really found out. I didn't realize it at the time, but now I look back, and pretty much everybody felt that way, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. I might go to college. I might go to trade school. I might go into the workforce. I might join the military. I don't know what I was going to do, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I came so close to joining the Air Force. I almost did it, but I didn't do it. And just so many things that would have turned out maybe differently had I not gone down the path that I did go down. Uh, I want to tell the graduates here today and all the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, 
Whether you're going to, uh, going to be a full-time student or whether you plan to just become a member of the workforce, hear me. My question today is, are you willing to give God first crack at your life and your future? Now, when I was a kid growing up, we would go to church camps. How many of you have ever been to a church camp in your life? Now, the church camps that I went to, they were church first and camp second. Okay, I mean, it was heavy on the church side. And every time we would go to church camp, at some point during that week, the evangelist or the speaker would always, at least one night during that camp, would make a plea to us. And that plea was, God has a purpose and a plan for this generation. And are you willing to give your life to God? Not just to be a Christian, but there was a challenge. Are you willing to possibly give him your life and serve him even as a minister or as a missionary or as a Sunday school teacher? We used to be challenged on a regular basis that the fields are white unto harvest and that God is looking for laborers in his field. And if I can be honest with you, I think we've done an injustice to the modern day church by not challenging all of us a little more often with the reminder that the fields are white under harvest and we do need more laborers in the field. Can the church say amen? amen? See, it really doesn't matter whether you become a politician or a plumber, a doctor or an electrician, a student or a construction worker. I want to challenge you today to give God a chance at your life and for some of you to ask God, here it is, is full-time ministry or service in the kingdom is being a missionary something that God might want from you in your future. I'm glad that a preacher challenged me with that question when I was only 16 years old because at that time, God called me as a 16-year-old into full-time ministry to give my life to him as a pastor. He called me when I was 16, but hear me, it didn't happen until I was 29. Okay, in between, I was a high school student, I was a college student, can I give, just give a shout out, I was a J. Sergeant Reynolds, Parham Road University. Come on, are there any other J. Sergeants in the house, don't be ashamed, come on, let your light shine before men, amen, don't be ashamed, amen, <laughs> amen. I worked at a restaurant, I worked at a grocery store, I worked at a Chevrolet dealership shipping auto parts. I sold rainbow vacuum cleaners. I, yeah, that's right, amen. I picked tomatoes one summer. I did roofing work. I worked in a print shop. I went to trade school. I became an electrician. All of that in between the age of 17 and about 24. Now, no matter where I was and no matter what I was doing, I said, because a preacher challenged me, at the age of 16, I said, God, I am going to serve my generation by the will of God, by putting you first in my life and giving you first choice in my future. Amen. So again, I want to challenge some young adults and some students today to give God first place in your life and to serve your generation by the will of God. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 144, 145 and verse 4 about recognizing the obligation that we have to one generation, to the generations to come. It said this, one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. My question is, what will the next generation say about your works in your generation? Will they declare your mighty acts? They will if you serve the purpose of God in your life. Amen. What will the next generation say about this generation? What are they going to say about what we do with our lives? You see, despite all of the negativity, despite the fact that every generation thinks that the one after them has it easier, is lazier, is not quite as good as their generation was, come on, we've all heard it. And probably most of us have said it, right? 
I, for one, I believe that this generation that walked across this platform here today is a great generation. Amen. Every generation since the beginning of time has been marked by their own influence in their culture and the people around them. And I want to tell you also, every generation has had its own darkness that they had to overcome. Amen. Noah's generation. Let me read you about Noah's generation. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. It said, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And look how bad they were. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Now you think it's bad today. In Noah's day, it said every thought that they had was evil and they thought those thoughts all of the time. Amen. That was Noah's generation. Moses' generation was known as the perverse and crooked generation. Solomon's generation was known for cursing their fathers and not blessing their mothers. Jesus' generation was called the faithless and perverse generation of vipers, evil and adulterous, seeking after a sign. Peter's generation was called the untoward or crooked generation. And he implored them to save yourself from this generation. But hear me, this is our generation. Amen? Come on, you have to reach yours and I have to reach mine because our generation is going to hell in a hurry. Noah and Moses cannot reach our generation. Come on. The apostle Peter cannot heal the sick on your college campus. David is not going to stand in the gap at your high school. We are a unique generation called for this day and this hour. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. You see, this generation needs you to rise to the challenge of your generation, to serve your generation by the will and purpose of God. See, today we see morality as a moment-by-moment choice. People today, they say truth is no longer an absolute. Instead, you hear people say, well, that is your truth, and this is my truth. I'm going to tell you folks right now, that's not truth. That's a lie, amen? Come on. There is still absolute truth in this world. There is still some things that are absolutely right and some things that are absolutely wrong. And here's what we don't understand. I believe, I'm telling you, I might, maybe I'm Pollyannish, maybe I'm too much of a glass half full and not glass half, half empty. Per, but I want to tell you, I don't think people are wicked. I think people lack direction. People lack purpose. People are bored. People are scared. It's hard for them to focus on anything other than themselves. Do you realize that the generation of kids that just walked across this platform, they don't know what it's like to live without a cell phone. They don't know what it's like to have no internet. Amen. They don't know what it's like to to not live without the pressure of social media. Can I just go? I'm going to just brag on this generation for a little bit. This kid, these kids actually had it a whole lot harder than my generation did. Can I get a little help in this house today? They faced stuff that we never faced. See, and I don't need to rattle off all that is wrong around us. Because anyone with eyes and any sense of a Christian worldview can see it. Many people do not understand the God of the Bible. They do not trust the church or the ministry because of private pain or even public failures. Amen. They look at people with biblical convictions, not as conservative Christians, but now the church is considered to be dangerous or hate mongers or out of touch. We've got to understand God is calling us to claim back this generation for righteousness. And can I just get a little preachy right now? You don't do it by getting in in somebody's face and shouting them down. Come on, somebody. You don't win arguments on Facebook and win people to Jesus at the same time. He's called us to be salt and light. Salt is to enhance something. 
So my question is, what does this generation, your generation, my generation, have to look forward to? See, the only hope for my generation is going to come through a generation of sold-out believers and a sold-out church. Amen? Come on. The only way that we're going to really reach our world is from the church to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need teenagers who will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need young adults who will say, I'm willing to give my life to the service of the kingdom. I'm willing. We need to become a Book of Acts church that is so full of the Holy Spirit that it will change the lives of people who come in contact with it. People need to experience the drawing, convicting, and liberating power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. See, it's the same Holy Ghost that they had back in the book of Acts. It's the Holy Ghost church that will change our world. See, hear me. Either the church is going to change this generation or this generation is going to change the church. That's the challenge. And I'm just going to tell you, we've got to serve our generation by the will of God. There are denominations right now that culture has changed them. I'm not going to call them my name. That's not what I do. I'm not here to pick on any denomination. But you can see them all around us where the church is caving in to the culture. We've got to stand with love and speak the truth in love. And we've got to have young men and young women that are willing to take up their cross and say, God, I will do your work if you're calling me to do your work. Amen. We need to become a generation and a church that's not afraid to worship like we are crazy about Jesus. Amen. Come on, somebody. To worship in spirit and truth. And I don't think it's going to run off anybody that really wants a real experience with God. This generation needs young people and young adults who will not only follow, but will accept the challenge to lead. Come on. I'm just challenging you right now. I believe the next Billy Graham could be sitting in these pews. I believe the next Martin Luther King could be sitting in these pews. I really believe it. I believe the next Mother Teresa could be sitting in these pews. Come on. I believe that there's people here that can lead addiction recovery groups and can help people out of the bondage of addiction if they're willing to serve. I believe there's young men and young women that can become missionaries and can take the gospel into parts of the world that have never heard the gospel. And they just need somebody to challenge them and they need a church to release them. Amen. 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 I'm calling somebody. God told me to call for somebody to give their life to the kingdom. I'm also calling some of you young adults. You're already married. You're already on your career path. You think this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. I hate to tell you this, but sometime if you ask God to use you, he will upset your apple cart and he will set you on a different path. And that's all right. That's all right. This generation needs young men and young women who will lead who will not only get behind the idea of serving, but will in fact serve. People who will do the work that God has called them to do. Timothy group, we need you to serve. Come on. Students, we need you to fall on the altar and tell God He can use you in any way that He wants to use you. Amen. The greatest achievements in life are usually accomplished by people who have a singular desire that becomes the ruling passion of all that they do. See, desire can make the difference between life and death, poverty and prosperity, happiness or hopelessness, salvation or destruction, and in many cases between heaven or hell. What is your one desire? You see, if you will desire to be used by God to reach your generation, you can do that very thing. I believe this generation is ready to accept the challenge and to take new territory for Jesus Christ. See, God's purposes in your life, they are not hindered by the things around us. For example, God's purposes are not hindered by the condition of this world. They're not. All the stuff you see going around you, do you actually think God woke up this morning and said, I didn't see that coming? I didn't see the good job, devil. Woo, I didn't see that one coming. No. 
God has not been caught by surprise. Come on. He is not. His purposes, his plan is not hindered by the condition of this world. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say, sometimes God lets us get ourselves in a jam just so he can advance the purposes of his kingdom. See, God is still working. He is still moving. He is still touching lives. He's still shaping kingdoms. He's never surprised by the nonsense that we can come up with as human beings. And just because the actions or motives of others around us might be carnal, it might be unfair, hear me, it doesn't mean that God's not present. This world cannot sabotage your purpose in God. Can't do it. Amen. Stay focused. Stay available. God's purposes are also not forfeited by your failures. They're not. Get up, wipe yourself off, and get going again. Amen. Failures may cause delays, but God's purpose still lives on in you. How do I know that? Because God is a God who applies grace to the long view of life. God didn't just see the little tiny puzzle pieces that we call life. He sees the whole picture. He sees the grand plan. God sees your life, and he is a God of great grace. Aren't you glad that your life is not defined by your worst moment? Aren't you glad that your life is, not also, is also not defined by your greatest moment? Because we'd be so proud, nobody could even stand to be around us. But God takes the composite and he looks for a willing vessel. And he says, you know what? I see your flaws. I made you. I know you. But I'll use you if you will allow me to use you. He's not frustrated by our failures. It's not forfeited by your mistakes. God's purposes are also not frustrated because of hardship in your life. Amen. Esther was a Jew who lived in exile in a foreign land. She was an orphan, but she was light years removed from the Persian nobility that she was surrounded by. Yet, none of that kept God from exalting her to the position in which he wanted her and used her to save her entire nation. What, if, you're, if you're not familiar with the story of Esther, it's not a long book. Go home and read it this week in your Bible. What a great woman of God Esther was. Amen. And her uncle one time, <coughs> he came to challenge her. And he gave her these words, and they were ringing with passion. And he said, Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. And who knows whether you, you, Esther, have not come for such a time as this. Amen. And I want to say to these young people and these young adults, who knows whether you have not come for such a time as this. Amen. Who knows whether God might not be raising up one of you to be the pastor, the next pastor of this church in another 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, I don't know how many years. Who knows? Or who knows whether God doesn't want you to go into the inner city and start a church yourself. Who knows whether God doesn't want you to become a Sunday school teacher in a community somewhere. Who knows whether God doesn't want you to become a missionary. Who knows whether God doesn't want you to raise up a nonprofit or start a business that will impact this. I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I just know God wants you to say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Some of you might be contemplating the military. That's all right. Ask God to use you in the military. He might raise you up to be a force for good in this world. And Esther finally replied to Mordecai's challenge. And she said, I will go, and if I perish, I perish. What a commitment to her generation. And the good news is, Esther didn't have to perish. Esther went and she saved her generation. And she was blessed and operated in the blessings of God. I want to tell somebody in this room today, you've got to stop saying you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or you don't have a family pedigree that can take you anywhere. Stop saying that, amen? That's the devil and that's your flesh. 
stop saying I've been in too much trouble or I've been to rehab or I, or I keep messing up and I can't be used. Come on, stop saying that. Stop saying I've already lost my virginity so I might as well give up on my purity. Stop saying that. Come on, the devil's trying to hold you hostage. He's trying to keep you down. God is saying, I will use you for my glory if you'll submit yourself to me again. Stop saying I'm too different and I don't fit into God's kingdom. How can he use my quirks and my flaws? Have you looked at the people he used in the Bible? Man, I mean, I think you can hold up your picture next to them and you'll be all right. He used quite an assortment of characters with quite a list of flaws and failures. But the one thing they all had in common, use me. Use me. You are not excluded from a God-given purpose for your generation because of limitations or past failures. God's hand is not short that it cannot save. His ear is not so heavy that he cannot hear. And whether you see him or not, he is at work in your life this very moment. God specializes in turning the mundane into the meaningful. Now, let me talk to some of you, like me, who are in your 30s, amen, and 40s, and 50s, and 60s. Let me tell you what happens to a lot of us. We think a message like this is just for the teenagers and the high schoolers and the college kids. And we feel like, well, my opportunities pass me on by. I'm just going to work. I'm going to pay my tithes. I'm going to serve in my church. I'm going to try not to wreak too much havoc in the community. I'm going to try to stay married. I'm going to try to raise good kids. And if the Lord prospers me, I'm going to be a good grandpa or a good grandma. I'm just going to be a model citizen. And we think that God's purpose has passed us by. God said that David served God's purpose in his generation. And do you know, I believe in every decade of David's life, he continued to make a difference. And I want to say to some of you right now, your ship has not sailed. Michael Jones told me after the first service, he said, your ship definitely hasn't sailed because we serve a God that walks on water. Amen? Your opportunities might be laying dormant in the dust that the devil has thrown on your purpose. And you need to rise up and say, God, it's still not too late for me to make a difference. Some of you right now, your difference, God may be calling you to influence the generation that is behind you or the two generations that are behind you. It is still an opportunity for you to impact this generation. I'm telling you, the last day's harvest is upon us. And God is looking for laborers in his field. Did you notice he didn't say, I need white laborers or black laborers or brown laborers. Do you notice in the Bible he didn't say, I need 18-year-old laborers. I need 28-year-old laborers. I need single laborers. I need marriage. He said, I just need some people that are willing to work. I just need some people that are willing to put their hands to the plow. And make a difference. An Olympic swimmer endures long hours of staring at the bottom of a pool. Day after day because they're motivated by the vision of a gold medal to come. A mother will endure painful labor for hours leading up to childbirth because she has a vision of her newborn baby that sustains her. A four-year-old boy will endure the struggle to be a very good boy for another two weeks. Because he's motivated by that stack of gifts he sees under the Christmas tree. See, vision is a powerful thing. And it motivates us to do great things, to give great things, to love at all times. Vision is what keeps us going when there doesn't appear to be any other reason to keep pushing forward toward the goal. I can just tell you, I had a lot of frustrating days when I was working at the printing company knowing that God had called me into full-time ministry. But instead, I was making copies for $7.40 an hour. I remember a lot of frustrating hours when I first got married and I was working as an electrician for $12 an hour, knowing 
that I had gone to Bible school. I had a bachelor's degree in theology. I'm supposed to be pastoring. But it wasn't God's time yet. God just wanted me to continue to be willing and continue to be ready when my time came. You see, vision will drive you into the purpose and the plan that God has called you to fulfill. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the thing that keeps us going for God, even when everything or everyone around us is tumbling and stumbling, is our vision of God, not our devotion to principles or our devotion to duty. I don't want you to miss that. In other words, it's a vision of God, not a vision of your duties, not a vision of your principles, not a vision of your convictions, not even a vision of the stuff that you're doing, but a vision of God that will allow you to continue to find your purpose in life. It is a vision of God before us. Colossians 3 and 2 said, setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. You need to ask God to give you a vision of himself. Ask him to show you how your purpose in life is an extension of his heartbeat to this generation. And then press toward that mark. Let me quickly, before I close, tell you about a generation that accepted the challenge and a group of people that didn't. Numbers chapter 13, I want to tell you about Israel. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Skipping down to verse 17. Moses gave those men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first grapes. Now we're going to fast forward to verse 26. They've gone out. They've wandered around. They've been spying out the land for 40 days. And now they're coming back. And they're speaking to Moses and Aaron. Verse 26. To Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Bam, they show a bunch of big giant grapes. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The termites live in the trees. No, that's not in there. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. See, Caleb heard all the negative. Oh, he's throwing this little negative cloud. And so Caleb speaks up in verse 30. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men, verse 31, everybody say the other men. There's always the other men. <laughs> the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Man, I can only imagine what it must have been like for the children of Israel when it was finally time to go up and possess the land. If you're not familiar with the story, the children of Israel have been slaves for 400 years in the land of Egypt. And then the Lord finally saw fit to let them escape. And they escaped Egypt and they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And now it's finally time to possess the land. And here they are. They send 12 spies out to do some reconnaissance and see what's there. And they come back. And now the 12 men, they've slipped across the border. And they come back 40 days later. And they start giving their report. 
And they said to Moses and Aaron, they said, we can do it. It's not going to be easy, but we can do it. They showed the giant grapes, the clusters of grapes so heavy that it took two men to carry it. They showed the fruit of the land. They told them how great it was going to be. But then suddenly the tone changes. In the midst of all the excitement, ten of the spies start in with their negative report. How does anybody go into the promised land and see all that and come back with a report of negativity? But all it took was a few negative leaders and a few doubters to begin to cause the doubts and fears to sweep over the people, kind of like the thunderstorms we've experienced here this morning. Now all of a sudden, all the people start chiming in as well. You know what's so funny about it? If it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. People that did not even go there, right? Yeah, there's giants in the land. You didn't see any giants. Well, yeah, but they said there was giants in the land. Yeah, it's going to be hard to do. All of a sudden, all the people, the negativity begins to move in. And it affected their plan. And it affected God's will. And it affected their progress. As a matter of fact, they hadn't wandered for 40 years yet. Let me make sure I'm not telling this Bible story wrong. The wandering began after they gave in to the negativity. And by the way, 12 spies come back. Only two of them ended up inhabiting the land. Joshua and Caleb. The two with the positive report. Have you ever heard of Amiel or Sether or Gamiel? Have you ever heard of Shapat or Shemua or Egal? Does, does the names Palti or Gaddy ring a bell to you? Nope. You know why? That was the ten negative dudes. That was their names. How many of you know that nobody remembers the names of the negative Nellies? <laughs> How many of you know nobody ever remembers the names of the ones who say we can't? or we shouldn't, or we probably will not. But the guys who said we can do it, by the help of God, Joshua and Caleb, we remember their names. Here's my question. Do you want to align your entire life with the 10 negative, or do you want to take a step of faith and say, God, you can use me in my generation to make a difference? Let me quickly close this message with three challenges. Praise team, come on up. First of all, I want to issue you a challenge that Joshua and Caleb issued to Israel. The first one is found in Numbers 13 and 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. I want to issue to you the challenge of going. Everybody say going. Let's go at once. Caleb offered them a challenge. That's an exciting little word, go. And I think it's a word we need to hear and need to do more often. Even when Jesus challenged his early believers, it was go and make disciples. I think sometimes as a church, we think we can just put a fancy digital sign out by the road, have a few cute programs, preach some nice little self-help sermons, and think that the kingdom of God is going to advance. That's not how it works. Caleb said, go. And what we need right now is young men and young women to rise to the challenge of going. Those that are willing to go to the mission field, it might just be a short-term trip. We're going to offer two trips this year, by the way. You'll hear more about that. It might end up being more. Rise to the challenge of going. Rise to the challenge. Rise to the challenge of going into your schools into your jobs, into your future. Jesus said in Luke 5.32, he's calling sinners to repentance. You know what? We need to help them find a way to answer that call. <clears throat> I have a question. Why are so many churches only trying to appeal to the righteous and not to the lost? Amen? I can tell you why. Because it's a lot safer. Because your views are not going to be challenged. Because you don't have to grow. Because you don't have to practice tolerance or mercy or love for somebody that has a totally different lifestyle than you. Oh, I want to help somebody right now. See, because it's just easier for church folks to surround ourselves with righteous people. 
because they share our traditions and our convictions and our theology. But what about the kingdom is supposed to be easy? See, hear me, the church is not an aquarium for saved people. The church is a hospital for hurting people and lost people. Come on, let me get a little help in here, amen? Well, I don't know why they do this. I don't know why. They, maybe it's because we're not doing it for you. Because we want to reach people that need to know Jesus. The first challenge is to go. Jesus said in Luke 14, 23, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. It's the will of God for this house to be full. Here's another challenge that Caleb issued, and that was the challenge of growing. Everybody say growing. He said, let us go up. You know what the challenge for the church is of this hour is to go up. Is your faith stronger or is it weaker? Are your commitments stronger or are they weaker? Are you more devoted or less devoted than you used to be? Is your worldview more Christ-like or more like the world? Let me just interject this. I don't have time to preach about this right now. But we need to fight for a Christian worldview. Come on. Because the views of this world... And the views of the enemy is filtered into the church on an astounding basis. Amen. Hear me. If your theology of life and sexuality and marriage and righteousness has been tainted by the world, you are not growing in the right direction. Come on, let me get a little help in this house. Amen. So how do I grow in an upward direction? It's not complicated. Take some classes. Listen to some podcasts. Turn off the bad music. Turn on some godly music. Amen. Read some books. Come to church faithfully. Join a life group. Serve in a, a ministry team. Amen. Here's the, the best advice I can give you. It comes from a children's Sunday school song. Are you ready? Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. That, those are the two most powerful tools in your tool belt. Read your Bible. You know what was in these bags? At least I think they were. Where, where they study Bibles? Where's, where are they at? Open one of them up. Let me tell you what we, and we've been doing this for years. You probably don't even know this. We gave every one of these students a study Bible. These graduating students. This ain't no $5.99 thing you find in the hotel drawer left by no, these are nice study Bibles. I think they're life application study Bibles. My favorite study Bible. I want these kids. I've got a Bible at home right now that my church gave me when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 16 years old. I've still got it. My first Thompson Chain King James Bible. Amen. Still got it. This is the single greatest weapon in your toolbox. This and talking to Jesus. I want you to stand with me all over this house. I used to go to the old time camps. And on the Friday night of camp, the preacher would get all red faced. Veins popping out of his neck. And he'd look right at us and say, Young man, God is calling some of you to preach. Young ladies, God is calling some of you to preach. And be missionaries. Would you give your life to Jesus? We don't hear that enough. The fields are white and the harvest. You want to know why more churches are closing than churches are opening? Nothing wrong with this. Because we've encouraged our kids to pursue education and careers. And higher education. And we've not at least given them the challenge to say, you can do all that, but what about giving your life to Jesus? What about being called into ministry? What about serving as a pastor or a counselor or a youth pastor? Amen. What about, you want to be a psychiatrist, that's great, or a counselor. Why not be a Christian counselor? Let your Christian worldview affect people when they come in for help. God's calling us. 
I'm going to do this altar call a little bit differently than I did in the first service. Here's what I'm going to ask. I want to ask every single middle school student and high school student and college student to come forward to this altar. If one's sitting by you and they're not budging, parent, elbow them. Say, he's talking to you. Send them up here. Come on. Sixth grade through twelfth grade, college age. I want every single adult that's under 30 years old, I want you to come forward. Say, why are you calling out this group? I'm going to tell you why I'm calling out this group. Because many of them, they still have the capacity to totally change the direction of their life and this world. Step forward. Step all the way up. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm going to try, I'll try not to spit on you. Amen. And you know what I know? I know God's already been stirring some of them. Because that's how He perpetuates His kingdom. And they just need to know that we've got their back. And if they mess up, we're not going to kick them to the curb. We're going to continue to encourage them. Listen, I don't, I don't think God's calling all of you to full-time ministry. I do think He's calling some of you. But you know what he is calling all of us to? To make a difference in whatever career path you go in. Whatever you're going to do. If you're going to be a student, if you're going to be a worker, if you're going to go into the workforce. And let me just say this too. I'm going to just throw this. College isn't for everybody. I think we've greatly overestimated the power of a college education. And we're forgetting there's a lot of people that can work with their hands that can make a huge difference in this world. We need to affirm that. Amen. There is no shame in the trade school game, amen. No shame in the construction game, amen. You better thank God somebody decided to be a farmer when you go eat you a bite to eat today, amen. <laughs> when you go home to your house today, you better thank God somebody decided to be a carpenter. Somebody decided to be an electrician. You know what I say? Let's raise up a generation of godly carpenters and electricians and lawyers and doctors and counselors and missionaries and preachers. Oh, I feel such an anointing in this room right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's what I want. I want some people of faith. Whoever you are, you have faith that God can use these young people. I want you to come up behind them. You don't even have to lay your hands on them. Just come up behind them. We're going to begin to extend a hand. We're going to pray for them. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad somebody took a chance on me. I'm so glad that six months after I got arrested for selling drugs at Lee Davis High School, God called me to preach. Six months after. And I had a youth pastor that said, Buddy, God can do it through you. I'm so glad somebody believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, Lord, help these young people that are standing before me to give you first chance at their life. God, I don't want you to have the leftover plan. I want you to be the plan. God, I don't want you to be plan C or plan D. I want you to know, God, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do because I believe in you and I want to serve you all the days of my life. God, I pray for these young men and these young women. They have a rough go of it in school. They've got to face a lot of challenges that we didn't have to face. Give them the courage to stand for you. Help them, God, to develop convictions of purity and righteousness that will help them to make their light shine. Help them, God, to galvanize a Christian worldview in their minds and in their hearts and their spirits so that when the enemy tries to distract them with all of the crazy messages that people are putting out right now, that they can stay focused and have a God-centric worldview. I pray, Lord, that your anointing 
We're to break every yoke of temptation and bondage that they're going to face, that they are facing, that they're going to continue to face. I pray, Lord God, that these young men and these young women could give them lives, their lives into your service. And some of them, it may not happen for five years or 10 years or 20 years, but God, just let it be a seed that germinates and grows until the season is right for them to step into their destiny. I pray, God, help us to be world changers and kingdom builders. Help us, God, to change our families. Help us to have godly marriages when that time comes so that we can set a course that changes our world. And Lord, for the men and women that are in the congregation that are not in this age group, remind us today, God, that it is never too late for us to find our destiny. Remind us that the greatest businesses and the greatest ministries were started by people in their 50s. Remind us, God, that it's never too late for us to change our world by committing our hearts. That's our prayer. Now, as we continue to pray right now, the praise team's gonna begin to sing, and I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. And I want us to begin to cry out to God. And I call your name. And let's ask him to do us with a mission. To give us a commission. God, I know it's not too late. It's never too late for me to answer the call. It's never too late. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, Jess. I want you to pray. God's called you for greatness. Come on, you're not just going to be an ordinary guy. I want you to submit your life.
believe that God's going to unfold greatness in their life. And I want them to hear it. How many of you believe that this generation can change our world? Come on, I can't hear you. Come on. Yeah! We believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in you. Amen? God's going to do greatness. He's going to do great, great things. And you know what I think is awesome? And then I'm going to be quiet and we're going to dismiss you. You know, every generation that comes along I'm, we realize they're, they're facing more and more stuff, right? I mean, it's just, it's crazy what's going on in the world today. And you know what I always think every time a new batch comes along, a new batch of high school, I think, God, this must be an incredible group of people because you've saved them for the last day's harvest, amen? <laughs> I mean, every generation. I'm in my 50s. But I'm telling you, these teenagers and these 20-somethings, God must have an amazing, amazing plan for them because, hear me, He saved you for now. <laughs> You're not here by mistake. God saved you for this generation for a reason, for a purpose. David served God's purpose in his generation. You serve God's purpose in your generation. Amen. Can we give God one last praise together as a body? Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we praise you, mighty God. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Next Sunday is Father's Day. We're going to have a great Father's Day celebration. Hope to see you then. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a great day in the, in the Lord. I'm not cool.